welcome to You Got This, a podcast about teaching and learning and pivoting to digital for the whole TRU community. I'm your host, Brenna Clark-Gray, Coordinator of Educational Technologies, and this podcast is a project of your friends over at Learning, Technology, and Innovation. We're housed within open learning, but we support the whole campus community. I record this podcast in Kamloops Te Swetmuk within the unceded traditional lands of Swetmukulu, where I hope to learn and grow in community with all of you. And our community has learned some tragic news in the last week. This is my first recording since the 215 children were found murdered on the grounds of the Kamloops Indian Residential School here in Kamloops Te Swimak. I am not intending to re-traumatize anyone, and you'll find as the first link in the show notes a link to the Indian Residential School Survivors Society and their link to the 24-hour crisis line for survivors. I do want to make reference, though, to the fact that as educators working in this space, we work within the legacy of the residential school system, and we also work within institutions that have privileged particular ways of knowing for a very long time. By privileging particular ways of knowing, we feign surprise when the stories of survival that members of the Swetma community have been sharing for generations are deemed to be true. I'm sitting with that legacy, and I have been all week, and it's not comfortable, and it's not easy. I encourage you, if you're a settler listening, to consider donating either to the recovery effort at Kamloops Tesawetmik or to the Indian Residential School Survivors Society. They provide no-cost counseling therapy to people affected by the news this week. It's difficult and critical that we recognize the complicity of all the work we do in the kinds of systems that have allowed this to happen. I'm going to pause here, and we'll get into the show proper after the break. Okay. This week, I'm thinking a lot about what it is that we mean when we talk about inclusion in our classrooms. I'm looking towards fall, and I'll admit (laughs) to a continuing baseline level of anxiety about what we're going to find, but I'm recognizing the ways in which the last year have changed me, and I'm thinking that I'm probably not alone in that. What will it mean to us to create an inclusive classroom when we have folks who aren't comfortable yet sitting in a crowd of people who have found that for the last year, learning online has afforded them the opportunity to learn more about themselves. They've recognized what works and in many cases, what doesn't work for their own learning. Will our classrooms be a place where students can voice anxiety or share their teaching and learning preferences? Will our classrooms be a place where anyone listens when they do? 
I'm not imagining that we can accommodate every request for every reason. There's workload implications and everyone is in a different position when it comes to that. There's all kinds of reasons why precarity and not getting your class until the last minute and number of courses and number of students and balancing multiple institutions. There's all kinds of reasons at play that would prevent someone from being able to necessarily accommodate everything that crosses their desk. But at the same time, I often feel like the kinds of things we hold rigid to are make work projects for ourselves as much as they are potentially harmful or negatively impactful for our students. I'm thinking, for example, of something like deadlines, right? We set deadlines, often pretty arbitrarily, let's be honest, right? Essay number one is due when essay number one is due because essay number two has to be marked and back before the final exam and the final exam has to be in this week, right? That's pretty arbitrary. (laughs) It's not like there's some sort of hidden truth to deadlines. And when we hold rigid to them, we set off a whole cascade of impacts. Students experiencing stress and panic, maybe students having to reach out to accessibility services to achieve an accommodation, maybe students who don't have that option or don't know they have that option, reaching out to a tutoring company that's more like a contract cheating firm. And I'm not sure what we gain by having rigidity when it comes to something like deadlines. I've actually always found it easier to manage my marking load when I have at least a little bit of wiggle room in deadlines because then they don't come in all on the same day. I don't have to carry that horrifying stack home on the bus, although I guess we're not really doing that anymore. I'm assuming most people are going to keep collecting essays digitally, but feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I guess the reason I'm raising this is because I'm a little bit worried about what back to normal rhetoric means when the normal wasn't really working for all members of our community. And I'm wondering what calls for inclusion mean if they're not tied up in commitments that do unfortunately end up touching on workload, academic freedom. I attended a deeply distressing conference presentation this last week at the Canadian Society for Studies in Higher Education that was about academic freedom conceptually and cases where accommodations have been denied because they were seen as an infringement on academic freedom. I'm not sure that academic freedom was ever meant to be wielded as a weapon like that. In many ways, I know I'm preaching to the converted. Folks who listen to this show are open, flexible, generous educators. So I guess maybe what I'm asking is to have you carry that conversation into difficult places, like maybe an uncomfortable department meeting or a coffee with a colleague who's more rigid than you to talk about how your flexibility is part of your planning for fall to create the kind of inclusive environment that we put on all the posters for the university. 
Because I'm thinking about inclusion and because so many of you have been asking me questions about what accommodations are going to look like in the fall and how we might best manage them, I thought I should actually probably turn to an expert at this point. And so today on the show, I'm delighted to be interviewing Sarah Walls. Sarah is Director of Student Access and Academic Supports here at TRU, and she has a lot of thoughts about how we can make our classrooms more accessible places for everyone. So I'm going to let Sarah take it from here. Okay, I am here today with Sarah Walls. Sarah, would you introduce yourself and let folks know maybe where they might have seen you on campus in the in the before times? <laughs> <laughs> sure. So I'm Sarah Walls, and I'm the Director of Student Access and Academic Supports at TRU. And I'm housed within the Faculty of Student Development, and primarily focus on supporting the accessibility services team. Fantastic. And that's exactly why I've invited you on the show today. So um, over at LTNI, we've been running a series of, uh, we call them pandemic pedagogies, but just lunchtime discussions about issues that may come up in the fall. So I think faculty have been asking me anyway, like I know the answer, I do not, um, a lot of questions about what they might expect around accommodations for, say, a student who has to miss like 14 days for quarantine or 10 for self-isolation. We were looking over the Go Forward document in one of the sessions, and, you know, it, it has this emphasis for good reason on ensuring that students who find themselves in that situation um, not be disadvantaged. I'm wondering from your side of the desk over at Accessibility Services, what you're anticipating faculty do in that scenario or how the institution as a whole is planning to accommodate students in that scenario? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm hopeful that the the full go-forward guidelines that, that are coming might go into this in a little bit more detail. But certainly, you know, from an accessibility services perspective, we do not provide academic accommodations for students who are sick with a cold mm -hmm. or a flu or short-term illness. So we, we won't require, you know, students with COVID or self-isolating with COVID, we won't require them to obtain medical documentation or to register with accessibility services. And so I think I would encourage, you know, faculty to you know, support students, you know, to the best of their ability, as they always have, mm -hmm. if they've had a student in their class who's been sick, you know, in the past. But, you know, that stated, this is going to be a challenging fall, you know, and, and many students, I think, will be impacted by the return to campus, you mm -hmm. know, either because of COVID or something like an episodic mental health condition, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD. Mm -hmm. So, if there are ways to incorporate increased flexibility, as a faculty member, you know, around attendance, assignment due dates, missed quizzes in class, you know, for really all of the students in the class, mm -hmm. I think that would be extremely helpful in reducing stress and anxiety that, you know, many students are feeling. And if there's any possibility that faculty, faculty could take a bit of a proactive step mm -hmm. to ensure easy access to the course material. I think that would be huge. So, you know, posting copies of all the PowerPoints or lecture materials, encouraging the class to share notes amongst one another, you know, and even I would encourage faculty to use their phone or a recording device in class and then post the lecture recordings. You know, we have students with accommodations for this and if it was provided to all, I think that would be really fantastic. But 
those would be some of my suggestions in preparing for that particular type of situation. Yeah. I think it's really useful to know sort of the line of when accessibility services steps in as well, because if mm. I think for a lot of faculty, like a 14 day absence, so say you're a twice a week class, that's potentially four classes that a student is missing. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of faculty that's outside of what they're sort of normally kind of ready to accommodate for, but we should probably expect that it's very possible, right? That we we will see students who have those kinds of needs. Um, yes. And you've given some suggestions about how faculty can kind of prepare for that proactively, which, yeah, it makes me super happy. I think the more we can think about those kind of universal design approaches to courses, um, the better for all students, right? One thing I've really learned through, uh, well, actually, it was like when my son was born. I've said this on the show before, but like, I never used to think about closed captioning. And then when I had a really fussy kid who didn't sleep very well, I only watched (laughs) things with closed captioning. (laughs) You know, the ways in which like accessibility tools can kind of expand out the learning experience for for all kinds of people. I wonder if you have any other advice or strategies on how faculty might design their courses to maximize accessibility from the the jump, I guess. And then Mm -hmm. ultimately... Well, I guess if we're maximizing accessibility, what we're really doing is kind of trying to be proactive on accommodations, right? Yeah, I think they go really well together, sort of hand in hand. There's certainly, I think, colleagues at TRU and elsewhere in the province who have more expertise than I in curriculum development. Um, So, for example, in in May, we posted a blog story about four faculty members at TRU who really excel in that area. They called it Accessibility Advocates, um, Faculty Edition. I'll make sure we link that in the show notes so people can check it out if they missed it. Thank you. Yeah, it's on the TRU newsroom website. So I, I think check that out and you can connect with Kelt. But yes, I, I, I th- there are certainly things that I think would make a big impact. Designing for diverse learning needs is really just ensuring that learner diversity is an intentional part of the course and not an afterthought, which so often mm-hmm. seems the case with accommodations. And I think um, it you know demonstrates to students that we care about their learning. And I think also it's important to consider that hidden curriculum and the mm. messages communicated, you know, by your classroom or Moodle space, can all students see a place for themselves in your discipline? Mm. Do they feel welcome in your classroom space? You know, are you kiss- considering the variability in the room, right? And so there are many things I think faculty could do, like you said, that would really mitigate the need for a number of classroom and exam accommodations we provide really all of the time through accessibility Mm. services. And so some I mentioned already, you know, lecture recordings, copies of PowerPoints, captioning. Thank you for the captioning plug. Yes, Mm -hmm. essential for students (laughs) (laughs) who are deaf or hard of hearing. I mean, absolutely. Um, And I think becoming a proactive part of course design now, but certainly wasn't in the past Um, pre-COVID. Other other ideas, you know, clear outlines of upcoming tests and assignments seem straightforward but not always provided and really helpful for folks with episodic disabilities or chronic illnesses um just building on again flexible due dates scaffolding maybe you know of larger Mm -hmm. assignments into more manageable chunks 
And particularly for this fall, I think in the classroom setting, you know, students know, just to let students know that they're free to step out, you know, if they need a moment, <clears throat> excuse me, I, and that you as the faculty member, you're not going to make any comment if, if anybody leaves the room. I think just having those conversations will, will provide such peace of mind. Be, letting students know you'll be flexible, ideally, you know, if they miss class on occasion. Um, even building in extra time with quizzes or mm. with exams for everybody, right? So, and then I think the last thing, you know, really, if I wear my UDL hat, that would mm -hmm. be really impactful with course design, I think, is providing some choice for um, when it comes to assessment. Mm. I think this really aligns with that um, that UDL principle, multiple means of action and expression, which yeah. I'm sure many faculty are familiar with. But by giving students some choice in how they'll be assessed, I think would really reduce the level of stress and anxiety um, for all students, right? And maybe gain a little power back in a time where I think everyone maybe is feeling like they don't have full control over their lives, right? And choose something <laughs> based on yeah. our own strengths, right? And our own current situation. So if I consider the students we work with, um, you know, different assessments elicit different panic or anxiety responses from different folks, different students, right? So mm -hmm. some will really struggle most with a presentation or with group work. Others will really struggle in that traditional exam setting because maybe they're having impacts to their memory or information processing. And then others will struggle absolutely with a written assignment the most, right? Particularly, mm -hmm. you know, particularly students with, with learning disabilities. So I think just as a faculty member asking yourself, you know, can students choose due dates? Can they choose from a range of modes or formats? Can you build in a blanket extension policy? You know, could you offer choice? around feedback type, things like this, I think would, would really impact the accessibility of all courses. I love that you brought this up because, you know, so many faculty spent so much time and effort over the last year learning all kinds of new modalities, right? Mm -hmm. Learning how to take in an audio assignment or a video assignment, learning how students could present their ideas in a discussion forum without necessarily just using text, right? And we've learned all of this stuff and we still know it. We don't have to get rid of it just because we're going back face to face, right? We can maintain that kind of, the kind of um, flexibility and choice that some of these options offer, even as we go back into the classroom, right? And it, maybe we could look at a best of both worlds kind of version of the mm -hmm. fall. Oh, I love that. I think that's, <laughs> that's a, a bit of a fear maybe for the folks that work in the area that I do is that some of these amazing gains we've made mm. through the pandemic will be, you know, hopefully not lost as we transition back. So I, yeah, well said. I, I, I certainly hope that's the case. I was also struck when you mentioned the sort of acceptance of just being able to step out of a room for a moment. Uh -huh. I've been thinking a lot about what it's going to feel like the first time I'm back in a room of 30 people. And I don't love it, <laughs> to be honest, you know, yeah. I don't know. I, I had to, um, I had to fly back to Ontario back in February for a family emergency. And it was, I've never been nervous about flying. I've flown lots, way too much from an environmental standpoint my whole life and didn't really, I've never thought twice about it. And I boarded the plane in Kelowna 
Um, Cause that was still when Kamloops didn't really have any flights <laughs> and I boarded the plane in Kelowna and I had this moment of real genuine panic. Like my whole chest seized up. I couldn't believe I was in this tiny tin can with all of these other human beings. Mm-hmm. And I had kind of forgotten that until you just said it. I, I think that the classroom is probably going to be that space for lots of us the, for the first few weeks. Anyway, the first time we've been around a lot of people um, and yeah, having some understanding of the different ways that might come across in our affect is going to be really important for all of us. I'm thinking about meeting rooms too. Those rooms are tiny. (laughs) So true. Yeah. And those are some of the accommodations we would provide to a student, you know, with uh, an anxiety disorder or something like that. It would be, yeah, ability to, it's an actual accommodation on their letter, ability to step out of class for short periods of time, Mm. Um, you know, preferential seating, uh, so that they could potentially make a quick exit, either at the front right. or the back. Um, things, of course, like I mentioned, extensions on assignments and and may miss class on occasion. But if these are things we can just do for all, because you're right, we're all going to feel a little anxious going back, staff and students alike. Well, this is a really good segue, actually, into my next question for you, which is, you know, I try to keep up on higher ed the higher ed blogosphere, let's call it for lack of a better term. And I'm noticing an increasing number of stories about um, sort of predictions of what new accommodations or additional accommodations are going to be necessary in the return to campus. Um, You know, I'm seeing some folks predicting a rise in diagnoses around anxiety, uh, depression, post-traumatic stress, all the things you actually mentioned off the top already. I'm wondering if that's something accessibility services, I'm sure it's something you're thinking about, but I'm wondering if you do have concerns about mental health and wellness for students as both now, because I find now a really uncertain time. Actually, I feel way more uncertain about things now than I did last May. Like last May, I knew kind of what was coming and this May. I feel like I don't. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we return to campus. Yeah, I, I I don't. I mean, obviously, it's hard to predict what the long term impact of COVID will be on mm. mental health. But certainly, I shudder a little to think about it. Um, and I do anticipate an increase in students coming forward with those diagnoses, um, or maybe you who already had those diagnoses in the past, but but didn't necessarily feel that they needed support through our office. Mm-hmm. Um and so that's why I think UDL is going to be just so darn important and, and flexibility will be so important um, this fall because it will be many students. I, I agree. And I think, yeah, mental health is top of mind for so many of us at TRU. And I think some of the things, like I mentioned before, are really going to help students um, with mental health conditions that have that as part of their lives or as yeah like I mentioned students who experience those symptoms but potentially don't have a diagnosis I think like you mentioned about your experience on the plane right Mm -hmm. so these conditions are episodic in nature you know so there's students are going to have periods of wellness and then periods of disability or when they feel unwell so yeah that flexibility is just so key and just as faculty too, encouraging students to connect with the resources available on campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, so often, students just, I think, need to feel supported mm-hmm. and validated about the way that they're feeling or what it is that they're going through. And so another idea too is creating space mm-hmm. in your classrooms to talk about mental health, mm-hmm. potentially provide some education 
be vulnerable yourself about this topic, which I've tried to do with my staff. Um, and considering diversity as well, of course, when having these discussions, knowing that everyone in the room will be different and will mm-hmm. be on a different journey. And I think it's also helpful to note too, that for students in particular with mental health conditions, it isn't always this goal of finding a cure or, or getting fully better, but you know, mm-hmm. often it's finding ways to live with these conditions and thrive as it being part of their life, right? So having those conversations, I think, and making those spaces is, is a fantastic place to start. You've sort of raised it and we've been talking about you know, what accessibility services does support and doesn't, or at what point accessibility services steps in to, to document for a student. One thing I've been asking faculty to be maybe more generous about is to think about the fact that students have now experienced a range of modalities of learning that they may have not experienced before, and they may have found something that works better for their learning than they knew they could ask for or access before. Mm. Um, And it's not that I expect faculty to give every piece of material in multiple modalities, huge workload implications for that. But I have been thinking about the students who, you know, have maybe thrived is not the right word for every student, certainly, but who have found things that worked for them. And I'm thinking too about, you know, we're reading all these news stories about the fact that sort of retreating from society for these last months, seeing folks, you know, coming out as trans or recognizing their own neurodivergence or sort of it's been this time of self-discovery for lots of people um, because they've been home with their own thoughts and things. And so I don't know, I guess my question is if students start to divulge information like that to faculty, at what point do you think a faculty member should say, hey, maybe you should connect with accessibility services versus sort of trying to address the needs flexibly on their own. I mean, I, I know it's not a hard line, but I guess at what point would you guys want to be looped into a conversation like that? Oh, it's a it's a great question. And I think sometimes it's something that can be a little tricky for faculty to navigate mm-hmm. when when you, you make the the handover to to accessibility services. And I think if you if you're seeing things in your classrooms, when it when it comes to disability, it's helpful to focus on the needs you're seeing for a student rather than maybe a particular challenge or problem you're seeing. And so if there's a need and you think that accessibility services could potentially fill that need for the student, that would be, I think, where I would start the conversation. You know, I've noticed that you were only able to complete about 60% of your exam. You ran out of, you just ran out of time. Do you think you could benefit from an accommodation for, for more time on your exam? Have you heard about accessibility service? So focusing on that need, right. That you Mm -hmm. think, I think would be helpful. Um, And certainly we're, we're very student driven, right? So, I mean, letting, students know about the services on campus is key but that is a real personal decision as well for students you know we obviously mm-hmm. unlike the k-12 system system we don't reach out we would have no idea who would need our support unless they come forward and and ask us for it and and some students it's a bit of a spectrum some students um know exactly what they need. They take a lot of pride in disability as being part of their identity and they come in and they know exactly what they need. And then there's still students who are struggling with stigma and Mm -hmm. feeling less comfortable to come forward. So 
I think really just helpful to have those conversations and, and reminding students that we are here for them. We exist if they feel they could benefit from, from the support we provide and, or from academic accommodations. Well, this is a perfect segue to sort of <laughs> the end of my conversation with you today, which is really, I wanted to ask what supports you most wish faculty would underscore for students. Something we did back in the in our training for our last fall was we really encouraged faculty to make a space in their Moodle shell where they linked to different resources. So where they linked to, um, you know, Indigenous student services, where they linked to the wellness center, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you had like a, you had like sort of a, a greatest hits list of things you wish faculty would direct students to more often. What would What would those be? Oh, I think for this fall, mm-hmm. I really do anticipate students will be, you know, will be feeling impacted um, by the return to campus and maybe feeling, you know, anxious and nervous. So certainly letting students know, letting your class know about accessibility service would be great. And we do have, um, we have a PowerPoint slide. It's on our website that you can incorporate into a PowerPoint if that'd be helpful or oh, a presentation. Yeah. Um, we'll link to that as well in the show notes so folks can find it quickly. Great. So certainly, of course, but but also to let students know about the other supports uh, on campus counseling. Um, and we have a, an, an Indigenous counselor that's specific to Indigenous students with what's been going on lately is in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a Why Mind support group run through counseling, which support is a support group for, for students with anxiety as part of their life. They usually meet Wednesdays. That's a great thing uh, to let students know about. The Wellness Center is doing some fantastic work and finding lots of different supports and services and events. Uh, so those those in particular, I think, for this year will be will be really key. And in the same topic, there's some fantastic apps out there if you you know want to let your students know for things like anxiety, depression. Um, Mind Shift's a great one. Calm. There's one called. I'm a big Sam, fan of Calm. Right. I know. <laughs> yeah. I love Calm. Um, a there's a for anxiety in particular. The Anxiety Canada website's great. And I was recently told about a, a resource that um that I really have been referring to a lot. It's called. Kelty's Key. Um, yeah, K-E-L-T-Y, Kelty's okay. Key. Uh, and it was a, a, it's a website and it was funded by Vancouver Coastal Health and it's a free online health tool. So you can go use the tool to be connected with online therapy or you can use the tool to guide yourself through self-help courses, which some folks would prefer. So there's topics for anxiety, panic, depression, substance use, grief, all kinds of things. So that's oh, wow. another really uh, cool one to, to refer to. There is a lot of support available, you know, also through through TRUSU. So I think just letting students know that there's a whole team of people that mm-hmm. our full-time job is to support you and, and your, you know, personal and um, emotional and academic success. So to, to just reach out and ask for help if you need it. I definitely remember feeling like I was the only person who was struggling when I was an undergrad and wasn't until I got to graduate school and and found a community of people who were talking more openly about just the impact that even just day-to-day stress has on our well-being um, Mm -hmm. that I really realized that, oh, you can actually like seek out resources for these things. And so, yeah, I think the more we talk about it with our students and with each other, um, the more we we normalize that seeking of support that's so important. 
Absolutely. And and it really is in all of our lives, right? Mm-hmm. We all are impacted by, you know, disability or accessibility. One in one in six folks, right, have some mm-hmm. in Canada, have some form of disability that impacts their life. Um, 20% or so, right? 22% mm-hmm. was the TRU stat. So yeah, let's talk about it. Let's normalize. And, and I think, you know, because it is, it's, it's a part of all of our lives. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I, I was at um, Congress this last week at the um, Canadian Society for Studies in Higher Education. And I was on a panel. And one of the people on the panel said, you know, we could all do better as activists and allies in the higher ed space. If we recognize ourselves less as um, able-bodied as like an identity character and or an identity category, sorry, and more as though we are temporarily abled because disability in some form or another, whether temporary or chronic, comes to everyone over the lifespan. And so thinking of it as something that we just all will need at some point in our lives rather than a special circumstance that has to be dealt with on the individual level, I think that can be really helpful to understanding why something like UDL um, is such a necessary sort of change to make in our practice. Yeah, such a proactive way to look at life. I I think that's fantastic and certainly aligns with UDL Um, in that, yeah, we will all need this one day. So let's build it in. Yeah, fantastic. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. I really appreciate it. And I'm so grateful because these questions have been coming up so often in sessions. So I'm just really grateful to have like half an hour of your time distilled (laughs) down to share with people. So thank you so much. That was a pleasure. <clears throat> My first podcast experience. So, oh, yes. you were great. You were natural. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It was, yeah, it was, it was, thanks for having me. Take care and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. So that is it for episode 31 of You Got This. As always, if you want to write to us, you can email me. I'm bgray at tru.ca. I'm also on Twitter at Brenna C. Gray. And in both cases, that's gray with an A. All of our show notes and transcripts are posted at yougotthis.truebox.ca. And of course, you can always comment on individual episodes there. I'm going to leave you today with a tiny teaching tip. And I'm reflecting here on the kinds of supports that Sarah asked us to share with our classes. Last term, we talked a lot about, as I said in the interview, building a little space in your Moodle shell to post resources. I'm going to ask you, now that fall shells are appearing in your Moodle courses, to think about doing the same thing for fall, and also to open up space, whether it's on your course outline or in conversation with your students, to open up the conversation about access to give space for students to ask you for what they need, and maybe, if you're open to it, to spend some time now thinking about what you're going to be able to accommodate and what you won't, and kind of having a plan for having a conversation about flexibility and deadlines and everything else. We're rolling into a difficult fall. I think we all know that to be true. And the more we can plan for inclusion, plan for kindness, and plan for generosity, the more likely we are for that to be our baseline state when we're called to do it. 
I learned that from my husband, who once upon a time was a reservist, and he talked about how they train. They train so that their baseline level of competency in everything from shooting a machine gun to administering first aid is higher than it would be without training, because when you're in a crisis, you fall back. You fall back to what you've practiced. So let's all practice to be the kinds of educators we want to be in the fall. And until next time, take care of each other and yourselves, and we'll talk soon. Bye-bye.